Matchworks Entertainment presents Short Transmissions Stories to rocket you into space Tonight, Sentiment, Inc. by Paul Anderson Part 3 Source, Gutenberg.org It can be annoying to be constantly shadowed, to have nasty gossip about you spreading through the places where you work and live, to find your tires slashed, to be accosted by truculent drunks when you stop in for a quick one, to have loud horns blow under your window every night, and it doesn't do much good to call the police. Your petty tormentors always fade out of sight. Fraser was sitting in his room some two weeks later, trying unsuccessfully to concentrate on matrix algebra, when the phone rang. He never picked it up without a fluttering small hope that it might be Judy. And it never was. This time it was a man's voice. <clears throat> Mr. Fraser. Yeah? He grunted. What do you want? This is Robert Kennedy. I'd like to talk to you. Fraser's heart sprang in his ribs, but he held his voice stiff. Go on. Then talk. I want you to come to my place. We may be having a long conversation. Mm, well, it was more than he had allowed himself to hope for, but he remained curt. Okay, but a full report of this business and what I think you're doing is in the hands of several people. If anything should happen to me... You've been reading too many hard-boileds, said Kennedy. Nothing will happen. Anyway, I have a pretty good idea of who those people are. I can hire detectives of my own, you know. I'll come over then. Fraser hung up and realized suddenly that he was sweating. The night air was cool as he walked down the street. He paused for a moment, feeling the city like a huge impersonal machine around him, grinding and grinding. Human civilization had grown too big, he thought. It was beyond anyone's control. It had taken on a will of its own and was carrying a race which could no longer guide it. Sometimes reading the papers, or listening to the radio, or just watching the traffic go by like a river of steel, a man could feel horribly helpless. He took the subway to Kennedy's address, a swank apartment in the lower 50s. He was admitted by the psychiatrist in person. No one else was around. I assume, said Kennedy, that you don't have some wild idea of pulling a gun on me. That would accomplish nothing except get you in trouble. No, said Fraser. I'll be good. His eyes wandered about the living room. One wall was covered with books which looked used. There were some quality reproductions, a cape heart, and fine, massive furniture. It was a tasteful layout. He looked a little more closely at three pictures on the mantel, a middle-aged woman and two young men in uniform. My wife, said Kennedy, and my boys. They're all dead. Would you like a drink? No, I came to talk. I'm not Satan, you know, said Kennedy. I like books and music, good wine, good conversation. I'm as human as you are, only I have purpose. Fraser sat down and began charging his pipe. Go ahead, he said. I'm listening. Kennedy pulled a chair over to face him, and the big, smooth countenance behind the rimless glasses held little expression. Why have you been annoying me? he asked. I? 
Fraser lifted his eyebrows. Kennedy made an impatient gesture. Let's not chop words. There are no witnesses tonight. I intend to talk freely, and I want you to do the same. I know that you've got Martinez sufficiently convinced to help you with this very childish persecution campaign. What do you hope to get out of it? I want my girl back, said Fraser tonelessly. I was hoping my nuisance value. Kennedy winced a bit. You know, I'm damned sorry about that. It's the one aspect of my work which I hate. I'd like you to believe that I'm not just some scientific procurer. Actually, I have to satisfy the minor desires of my clients, so they'll stay happy and agree to my major wishes. It's the plain truth that those women have been only the minutest fraction of my job. Nevertheless, you're a freewheeling son doing something like that. Really, now. What's so horrible about it? Those girls are in love, they're normal, genuine article. It's not any kind of zombie state or whatever your overheated imagination has thought up. They're entirely sane, unharmed, and happy. In fact, happiness of that kind is so rare in this world that if I wanted to, I could pose as their benefactor. You've got a machine, said Fraser. It changes the mind. As far as I'm concerned, that's as gross a violation of liberty as throwing somebody into a concentration camp. How free do you think anyone is? You are born with fixed heredity. Environment molds you like clay. Your society teaches you what and how you think. A million tiny factors, all depending on blind, uncontrollable chance, determine the course of your life, including your love life. Well, we needn't waste any time on philosophy. Go on. Ask some questions. I admit I've hurt you unwittingly, to be sure, but I do want to make amends. Your machine, then, said Fraser. How did you get it? How does it work? I was practicing in Chicago, said Kennedy, and collaborating on the side with Gavodi. How much do you know of cybernetics? I don't mean computers and automata, which are only one aspect of the field. I mean control and communication in the animal as well in the machine. Well, I've read Werner's books and studied Shannon's work, too. Despite himself, Fraser was thawing just a trifle. It's exciting stuff. I mean, communications theory seems to be basic, in biology and psychology as well as in electronics. Quite. The future may remember Werner as the Galileo of neurology. If Gavodi's work ever gets published, he'll be considered the Newton. So far, frankly, I've suppressed it. He died suddenly just when his machine was completed and he was getting ready to publish his results. Nobody but I knew anything more than rumors. He was inclined to be secretive till he had a fait incompli on hand. I realized what an opportunity had been given me and took it. I brought the machine here without saying much to anyone. Kennedy leaned back in his chair. I imagine it was mostly luck which took Gavodi and me so far. He went on. We made a long series of improbably good guesses, and thus telescoped a century of work into a decade. If I were religious, I'd be down on my knees, thanking the Lord for putting this thing of the future into my hands. Or the devil, said Fraser. Briefly, anger flitted across Kennedy's face. I grant you, the machine is a terrible power, but it's harmless to a man if it's used properly, as I have used it. I'm not going to tell you just how it works, to be perfectly honest. I only understand a fraction of its theory and its circuits myself. You know something of encephalography. 
the various basic rhythms of the brain have been measured. The standard method is already so sensitive that it can detect abnormalities like a developing tumor or a strong emotional disturbance. That will give trouble unless corrected. Half of Gavodi's machine is still more delicate encephalograph. It can measure and analyze the minute variations in electrical pulses corresponding to the basic emotional states. It won't read thoughts, no. But, once calibrated for a given individual, it will tell you if he's happy, sorrowful, angry, disgusted, afraid, any fundamental neuroglandular condition, or any combination of them. He paused. All right, said Fraser. What else does it do? It does not make monsters, said Kennedy. Look, the specific emotional reaction to a given stimulus is, in the normal individual, largely a matter of conditioned reflex instilled by the social environment or the accidental association of his life. Anyone in decent health will experience fear in the present of danger, desire in the presence of a sexual object, and so on. That's basic biology, and the machine can't change that. But most of our evaluations are learned. For instance, to an American, the word mother has powerful emotional connotations, while to a Samoan, it means nothing very exciting. You had to develop a taste for liquor, tobacco, coffee, in fact, most of what you consume. If you're in love with a particular woman, it's a focusing of the general sexual libido on her, brought about by the symbolizing part of your mind. She means something to you. There are cultures without romantic love, you know. And so on. All these specific conditioned reactions can be changed. How? Kennedy thought for a moment. The encephalographic part of the machine measures the exact pulsations in the individual corresponding to the various emotional reactions. It takes me about four hours to determine those with the necessary precision. Then I have to make statistical analysis of the data to whittle out random variations. Thereafter, I put the subject in a state of light hypnosis. That's only to increase suggestibility and make the process faster. As I pronounce the words and names I'm interested in, the machine feeds back the impulses corresponding to the emotions I want. A sharply focused beam on the brain center concerned. For instance, suppose you were an alcoholic and I wanted to cure you. I'd put you in hypnosis and stand there whispering, Wine, whiskey, beer, gin, and so on. Meanwhile, the machine would be feeding the impulses corresponding to your reactions of hate, fear, and disgust into your brain. You'd come out unchanged, except that your appetite for alcohol would be gone. You could, in fact, come out hating the stuff so much that you'd join the prohibition party. Though in actual practice, it would probably be enough just to give you a mild aversion. Hmm. I see. Maybe. Fraser scowled. And the subject doesn't remember what you've done? Oh, no. It all takes place on the lower subconscious level. A new set of conditioned neural pathways is opened, you see, and old ones are closed off. The brain does that itself, through its normal symbolizing mechanism. All that happens is that the given symbol, such as liquor, becomes reflectively associated with the given emotional state, such as 
dislike. Kennedy leaned forward with an air of urgency. The end results in no way different from ordinary means of persuasion. Propaganda does the same thing by sheer repetition. If you're courting a girl, you try to identify yourself in her mind with the things she desires by appropriate behavior. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have used that example. Um, the machine is only a direct, fast way of doing this, producing a more stable result. It's, it's still tampering said Fraser. How do you know you're not creating side effects doing irreparable long-range damage? Oh, for Lord's sake, exploded Kennedy. Take your mind off that shelf, will you? I've told you how delicate the whole thing is. A few microwatts of power, more or less, a frequency shift of less than 1%, and it doesn't work at all. There's no effect whatsoever. He cooled off fast, adding reflectively. On the given subject, that is. It might work on someone else. These pulsations are a highly individual matter, and I have to calibrate every case separately. There was a long period of silence. Then Fraser strained forward and said in an ugly voice, All right. You've told me how you do it. Now tell me why. What possible reason or excuse other than your own desire to play God? This thing could be the greatest psychiatric tool in history, and you are using it for malice. I told you that was unimportant said Kennedy quietly. I'm doing much more. I set up in practice here in New York a couple of years ago, and once I had a few chance people under control, no, I tell you again, I didn't make robots of them. I merely associated myself in their own minds with the father image. That's something I do to everyone who comes under the machine, just as a precaution, if nothing else. Kennedy is all-wise, all-powerful. Kennedy can do no wrong. It isn't a conscious realization to the waking mind. I am only a shrewd advisor and a damn swell fellow. But the subconscious mind knows otherwise. It wouldn't let my subjects act against me. It wouldn't even let them want to. Well, you see how it goes. I got those first few people to recommend me to certain selected friends, and then these, in turn, recommended me to others. Not necessarily as a psychiatrist. I have variously been a doctor, a counselor, or merely a research man looking for data. But I'm building up a group of the people I want. People who'll back me up, who will follow my advice, not with any knowledge of being dominated, but because the workings of their own subconscious minds will lead them inevitably to think that my advice is the only sound policy to follow, and my requests are things any decent man must grant. Yeah, said Fraser. I get it. Big businessmen, labor leaders, politicians, military men, and Soviet spies. Kennedy nodded. I have connections with the Soviets, and their agents think I'm on their side. But it isn't treason, though I may help them out from time to time. That's why I have to do these services for my important clients, such as getting them the women they want. Or, what I actually do more often, influencing their competitors and associates. You see, the subconscious mind knows I am all-powerful, but the conscious mind doesn't. It has to be satisfied by occasional proofs that I am invaluable. Otherwise, conflicts would set in, my men would become unstable and eventually psychotic and be of no further use to me. Of course, he added almost pedantically, my men don't know how I persuade these other people. They only know what I do somehow, and their regard for their own egos, as well as for me, sets up a block which prevents them from reasoning out the fact that they themselves are dominated. 
They're quite content to accept the results of my help, without inquiring further into the means than the easy rationalization that I have persuasive personality. I don't like what I'm doing, Fraser, but it's got to be done. You still haven't said what's going to be done, answered the engineer coldly. I've been given something unbelievable, said Kennedy. His voice was very soft. If I'd made it public, can you imagine what would have happened? Psychiatrists would use it, yes, but so would criminals, dictators, power-hungry men of all kinds. Even in this country, I don't think liberal principles could long survive. It would be too simple. And yet, it would have been cowardly to break the machine and burn Gavodi's notes. Chance has given me the power to be more than a chip in the river. A river that's rapidly approaching a waterfall. War, destruction, tyranny. No matter who the Pyrrhic dictator may be, I'm in a position to do something for the causes in which I believe. And what are they? Asked Fraser. Kennedy gestured at the pictures on the mantel. Both my sons were killed in the last war. My wife died of cancer, a disease which would be licked now if a fraction of the money spent on armaments had been diverted to research. That brought it home to me. But there are hundreds of millions of people in worse cases, and war isn't the only evil. There's poverty, oppression, inequality, want, and suffering. It could be changed. I'm building up my own lobby, you might say. In a few more years, I hope to be the indispensable advisor of all the men who, between them, really run this country. And yes, I have been in touch with the Soviet agents, have even acted as a transmitter of stolen information. The basic problem of spying, you know, is not to get the information in the first place as much as it is to get it to the homeland. Treason? No. I think not. He sighed. It's a hard row to hoe. It'll take my lifetime, at least, but what else have I got to give my life to? Fraser sat quiet. His pipe was cold. He knocked it out and began filling it afresh. The scratching of his match seemed unnaturally loud. It's too much, he said. It's too big a job for one man to tackle. The world will stumble along somehow, but you'll just get things into a worse mess. I've got to try, said Kennedy. And I still want my girl back. I can't do that. I need Snyder too much. But I'll make it up to you somehow. Kennedy sighed. Lord, if you knew how much I've wanted to tell you all this. With sudden wariness. Not that it's to be repeated. In fact, you are too lay off of me. Call off your dogs. Don't try to tell anyone else what I've told you. You'd never be believed, and I have already enough power to suppress the story if you should get it out somehow. And if you give me any more trouble at all, I will see to it that you stop. Murder? Or commitment to an asylum. I can arrange that too. Fraser sighed. He felt oddly unexcited. Empty. As if the interview had drained him of his last will to resist. He held the pipe loosely in his fingers, letting it go out. Ask me a favor, urged Kennedy. I'll do it if you won't harm my own program. I tell you, I want to square things. Well, think about it. Let me know. All right. Fraser got up. I may do that. He went out the door without saying goodnight. Short Transmissions was created by Heather Johnson Yu. 
Produced and edited by Rachel Emerson. Music by Molly Walburn. Brought to you by Edgeworks Nebula. Tune in next week for the next episode of Short, Short, Short Transmissions. Edgeworks Nebula.